we see them in their beautiful blue scrubs and we think, man, that guy's life must be pretty good. But the fact is that being a doctor presents many unique challenges to a marriage. Our guest today, Laura McEldery, shares how she and her husband, Josh, find ways to draw closer together in spite of crazy schedules, demanding work, and a busy family life. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Hello there, legendary marriage family. This is Danielle and Justin. So whether you've been listening a long time or maybe this is the first time. Could you silence your phone? We're so glad we're trying to record here. (laughs) I'm a very important person, apparently. Oh my gosh. This is episode 89. Can you believe it? Yeah. We're going to hit 100 episodes before Thanksgiving. Been a crazy ride, but we're just getting started. Yes, we are. The crazy ride makes me think of like a choo-choo train for some reason. Come on, ride the train. Oh, I was thinking crazy ride rides. Trains, they're on tracks. Like, they're not you know crazy. where you're going. It's not that crazy. <laughs> uh, as we get closer to 100 episodes, we're going to talk more about what we've learned along the way and what's in store for the show in the future. But one thing is for sure. We want you. What do you like, Uncle Sam over here? Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. Oh, honey, you get me. I know. Root beer moment. Root beer moment. Uh, so the show is made up of people sharing their stories and their wisdom. Like as one thing we've learned is that stories and wisdom, knowing that you're not the only couple in the world, the only person in the world to be going through something, to look outward, to see somebody else's story and see truth about your own story in it is, is incredibly valuable. In fact, I would say it's a big part of what saved us when we went through our crisis it really did save us. Um, I, thinking back to when we were in that small group with with uh, Steins and Pulaski's and everybody, and them sharing their stories, um, and then as we went out when we went through the crisis and talking to friends and and coaches and counselors and everybody, it was the stories that that inspired us and challenged us. And so that's what we're doing. And we want you, your stories, your wisdom. Um, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be uh, a celebrity, but we're happy to have those people as well. So we want to challenge you. Think about coming on the show and sharing your story. You can head over to legendarymarriage.com slash guest and take a look at what we've got there. We make it really easy. It's a, it's a conversation. We record it and we get to share it. Your story has the power to inspire and challenge other people. It has, it gives you an opportunity to find some new learning and healing and growth for yourself as you share it. Um, So think about coming on the show. Think about referring a friend, somebody you know that's gone through a trial or challenge in in their relationship, in their life, and uh, where you just love to share share them with the world. And drop us a note if you want. Uh, We'd love to hear about some of your favorite authors, leaders, thought leaders, influencers, celebrities, and so on, people that you'd love to see us have on the show because we're starting to really expand the universe of what we're doing here under that banner. 
we're working hard to make the show better every week because we've seen how sharing our stories and wisdom as well as yours inspires and challenges people. I mean, it inspires people to keep going through the tough stuff and to keep fighting together for something better. I feel like we need to have a jingle here. Come on the show. Why do I always have to come up with some like song for everything? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but re- really, let's get to our show here because we've got an amazing guest today. All right. I've worked out an introduction. All right. I know this is your thing, but let me, let me give it a try. Okay. Go for it, babe. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to need a whole panel of intimacy and connection along with some powerful parenting moments. Stat! Let's get an IV of meaningful conversation after a 48-hour shift. What do you think? (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Today we're talking with Laura McEldery, host of the Married to Doctors podcast, and she'll share how being a mom of five and being married to a doctor or any spouse with a demanding job can bring on its own set of challenges as well as blessings. Honey, I really enjoyed that. You, you got any more of that in there? Uh, oh, I could go for days. Oh, I could okay. Go for days, All but, right, maybe later. Maybe at the end of the show. But let's just dive in. Laura dives into the challenges of being married to a doctor and the shifts she had to make in her mindset when it comes to equating time with love and dealing with things like student loan stress and wealth and snobbery and finding her own identity when she had to continually leave her career behind. You know what? We kind of have the opposite challenge that she has. I know she talks a lot about how she has very little precious time with her family. We have absolutely the opposite. We have a we lot. We have too much time. <laughs> we have too much time together. No, it's true, though. I feel like that brings its own unique set of challenges, too, because there's no steady schedule that we always have. Yeah. There's no, like, well, every day when we wake up, this person takes the kids to school, and then this person does breakfast, and, you know... It's always different because sometimes you're traveling, sometimes yeah. you work from home, yeah. sometimes you go into the office, sometimes you're not even here. So it's kind of crazy to get a schedule going. And I'm not a schedule girl usually, but it kind of leaves me feeling like, ah, ah. Yeah. And that's why we've, we've adopted things like the planner and the calendar, the Google calendar and everything. And we'll talk more about some of the tools I, we use in other times. But seriously, I am the first person to admit. And, and Justin, what, you just made me take the DISC assessment the other day because we love getting to know each other better. But one of the things that I'm really low in is just the whole idea of the details. And so schedules a lot of times just don't compute with me. But I know I desperately need them. So thanks for getting me on board, honey. Yes. All right. Now that we're done with that rabbit trail, (laughs) back to the idea of introducing our our guest today. (laughs) So let's dive into our conversation with Laura McEldery. So we are joined on the podcast today, Laura McEldery. She's a podcaster, a blogger, mom of five boys. Hello. (laughs) And has the pleasure of of being married to her amazing husband, Josh, who is a doctor. And after 16 years of supporting her husband through becoming a doctor, you know, all the schooling and ins and outs of that, um, she found that being married to a doctor brings its own unique challenges. So she created 
the Married to Doctors podcast to begin conversations, strengthen families, and help make successful homes happier. So welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Yes. Okay. So growing up, what did you think a successful marriage was? I thought it was successful when my parents got along and... Honestly, from a child's perspective, I just wanted their attention. You know, I wanted them to be around and give me their time. And mm-hmm. and that sounded good to me. Yeah. Now, how did you meet your husband, Josh? So we actually met in church. But in addition to that, he moved into my same apartment complex. And it happened that I already knew his sister. So I think there were two or three ways we were meant to definitely meet. So that was exciting. Oh, moved in down the hall. He did. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh, Justin. See, when and I, I did that in college, it was all part of a plot. Yeah, Justin was a little like he thought he was under the radar, but he wasn't really under the radar. Like no, I didn't didn't really care. I didn't, didn't <laughs> care about radar. We were I was in a dorm and then oh, Justin was in the same dorm. It was so serious. I don't know. <laughs> he was right underneath me down the stairwell. It was just so, so shocking. Okay, so <laughs> So you had all these connections with Josh. What qualities did you find attractive about him? I loved that he asked a lot of questions. He was always really curious. I also appreciated that he was a good listener and he liked to let me talk, which, you know, I really loved during those first few dates and the dating years or not years. We didn't date years, but the dating time. Um, Another thing I loved about him is the first time I was ever at his apartment, I noticed he was stocking his cabinet with like canned goods and ramen noodles. And I was like, whoa, this is different. You know, a lot of the guys I knew went out to eat a lot, which, you know, maybe tastes better. (laughs) But something in me was really attracted to this idea of like frugalness. And I was like, this guy's like, he's got his head on straight. Like he's going to get through this. And I can tell like, he's not going to rack up as much debt. And I was just impressed by that. And I'm like, I'm going to get to know him a little better. So, so what were your, your dates like? Give me a, give me a good date from canned corn Josh here. Oh my gosh. It's so true. He was so broke when we met and actually he made me split pea soup and invited me over and I don't like, but I know I married this guy, right? Like this was a date. So I was like split pea soup and I knew I was in love when I was able to eat eat the split pea soup. (laughs) It actually actually tasted really good. So I don't know. He flavored it up. Right. So that, that still surprises me. And we still laugh. And occasionally he still wants to make me split pea soup. Oh, it's like a romantic night. You put the candles on the table, split pea soup night. Um, That's like 98 cents a bag can feed the family. It's fantastic. Yeah, I can't. Well, yeah, maybe he was just being frugal, but I can't even imagine anybody making much of anything in college other than like, I- Come on, I made you chicken marsala. You did? It was terrible, but I made it. I don't remember that. I used to make macaroni and One of my cooking fails in life. Nailed it. I usually do pretty well, but I mean, I'm not, I'm no split pea soup connoisseur. I know. So you, you married a doctor. What did you think that marrying a doctor was going to be like? Well, I didn't marry a doctor. I married a kid who was a math major and didn't have a bachelor's degree. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and about a year or so after we were married, he started thinking about taking the MCAT and took the MCAT. And so once he was accepted to medical school, we moved and went to medical school together and then beyond that. So I didn't really have, when we married, I had no idea that he would ever be a doctor. I thought he was going to be a teacher, which is what my dad was. I thought he'd be home a lot and have summers off and life was going to be um, more about time than about money, which was fine with me, to be honest. But he had this great desire to learn. Like I said, one of the things that attracted me to him was his curiosity. And he just kind of kept saying, well, I think maybe I could do this. Maybe I'll try to do this. And so sure enough, he takes the MCAT, does well enough on it to get accepted into school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. My initial thoughts were like, man, I've hit the jackpot. He got into med school, right? But this is coming from like small town Oklahoma girl who had never known a physician. I had no idea what I was getting into. I did not know the amount of debt we would be in. I did not know the amount of time it would take. And I did not know what kind of physician he would choose to be because there's so much variety, right? Like the first four years of med school is the same for everyone. But then you don't really, you know, you don't get your license until you go through your residency program. And those vary like three to 10 years, you know, depending on what you do. And of course, Josh always seemed to pick the hardest ones to do. And so he's kept going and going and going. And he's had eight years of training after med school. Yeah. And so he's now a trauma surgeon. He has a fellowship. But yeah, so it was 12 years of education And in my little naive mind at the time, I was like, oh, med school. And then I think there's this thing called residency, but I don't really know what that means, but that's paid. So we'll be fine. (laughs) I've learned a lot. And then everything will be great. Right, right. And along the way, you have had five kids. Yeah, because family was really important to both of us. I have, I'm from a family of four kiddos. Josh is from a family of nine kiddos and I knew that he wanted kids and we had decided on that together. In fact, our first son was born just before we went to med school. So he's been with us all along the way. So newborn and then on top of that, hey, let's dive into med school. Right, right. Wow. (laughs) You had said like in the beginning, you two thought time would be like your your uh, go-to together as a family and you'd have lots of time together and he'd have the summers off because he was a teacher. So what did time look like? <laughs> did you guys have any time together in those early years with the little babies? And Yeah, so medical school was hands down easier time-wise than surgical residency was. But for some people, medical school is the harder point. It kind of depends on what specialty you go into. I think in general, residencies tend to be harder on families than medical school, which is kind of funny because by residency, you know, most people are having kids or thinking about starting a family because they're just at that age. And by the time we started residency, we actually had three children. So that was definitely difficult. I think that has been one of the hardest things for me is coming to learn that time doesn't equal love. And I know in a lot of, you know, marriage advice books and podcasts and everything else, you'll often hear about love is time and time is love. And if you love someone, you spend time with them. And I believed that for a long time. And what happened when I believed that was I ended up kind of just being resentful, if not of Josh, if of his career and like, why did you choose, you know, medicine? And 
if you're going to choose medicine, fine, but why in the world would you choose surgery? And if you're going to choose surgery, fine, but why in the world would you choose trauma surgery where you have to take call? And like, I just always had, it always felt like he chose the least family thing. And I guess you could argue that he did, but it's also been interesting for me to learn like where his talents and interests lie and that's where he shines. And that's really like his calling in life. And also to learn that time you know, if you look at time as love, you can often be disappointed if you think about like military families or so many people that are separated from their spouses for any reason or business owners that spend, you know, 80, 100 hours a week, you know, getting their businesses up and going. There's lots of professions that that take time. And so for me, it's just been important to realize like my husband can love me 100% and he can want to be home but at the same time have this obligation to his career. And it doesn't mean that he loves me less and I don't need to compare our relationship to, you know, the family where the dad has time to be the soccer coach. Now, yeah. so you, in the beginning, you were seeing the lens of love through time or quality time, something like that. And how was he showing love to you guys in that time where, you know, he barely saw you? Yeah, it was hard. It was hard on him too. And he would often say, you know, I wish I could be home more. I wish I could spend more time with you. I think lots of times he was kind of lost as to how to engage with us more because he felt torn, you know, even when he'd come home, he'd often have something that he needed to study or to read or to get ready for the next day. You know, if he was going to be operating some on someone, he wanted to read up on the case and be prepared. So he had that pulling on him. And then he had kids that wanted attention. And then I was always in the background like, hey, over here, it'd be nice to connect. So it's definitely a lot of stress on him. Things that Josh did really well was that he prioritized date nights. So I'd love to say we went on a date every week. That'd be an exaggeration. But I would say twice a month we would go do something just me and him. And we got creative on that. You know, sometimes depending on his schedule, that might be lunch, might be dinner, might be breakfast. But it was important for us to do something without the kids at least twice a month. I, I hear you there. Like just the the logistics and the expenses of the date night. And it doesn't have to be night. <laughs> It's, it's a whole lot easier to call up some friends and say, hey, let's trade off the kids for the days and go to lunch or take an, take an afternoon off or something like that um, and still have that, that connective time. Yeah, getting creative. I like that. I like that. Breakfast. Honey, let's do a breakfast date. Awesome. Pancakes. We just, when we're on vacation, let's, let's just do that. And we'll just like get up super early. Mm-hmm. and just leave yeah should we like tell them to no. watch the kids no the just grandparents be, just be gone, just be gone. <laughs> i think that would probably not work too well but um so so you you said that one of those early issues was you were building resentment because you kind of had this frame of like time equals love and so I know that there were some other issues too in that early time frame with, you know, you felt like you were making all the sacrifices. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, there were a couple of things that really made it hard for me to be married to a med student. And then of course, when you finished medical school, being married to a doctor. 
one of them was just my own securities and like being confident in who I am. So I actually had a hard time even telling people I was married to a doctor at first. I don't know. You would think it would be something to be proud of. And of course I'm proud of my husband, but I also felt like I would be judged very, very quickly. And so I wanted to immediately put off these disclaimers, like I'm married to a doctor, but I promise I'm not snobby and we're actually really broke and we have six figure debt. And I, you know, it's just like, I wanted to put out this huge disclaimer and, you know, I, so I had to become confident in who I was, you, you know, I'm a doctor's wife and I feel like I had a lot of stereotypes in my own mind of what that meant. And so it's been really interesting for me to learn what that actually means and just to get to know humans better. You know, we're all human. We're all having an experience. It's easy to judge people. It's easy to assume someone's life is a certain way and it's often not true. And then I also had to trust my own decisions. So I was a school teacher myself. And when Josh and I met, um, I was working on my master's degree, finished that up, had an amazing teaching job. And when we went to medical school, I gave that job up, had another job and I gave that job up. And so I've actually given up two or three jobs because we've needed to move for his training or for his education. And so at certain points, yeah, I felt like that was hard because, you know, on one hand, it's like, well, you're a teacher, you can get a job teaching anywhere. Well, not really, not necessarily in your specialty. You have to move your teaching license. If you get in with a great principal and great support and you love those students, like leaving that job is very difficult. And so... I would feel like, gosh, you know, like I get that his job will ultimately make more money and then I need to support him. But this is, you know, I need to also acknowledge what I'm giving up, even if on the worldly standards, quote unquote, just a teaching job. You know, it was something I had worked really hard for. I was the first grandkid to graduate from college in my family. So I was proud of my little master's degree and I was working it and I loved it. And I didn't necessarily want to let that go. It's complicated because on one hand, of course, I wanted to let it go. I wanted to support my husband. I loved my husband. I knew he was doing a good thing for our family and I was proud of him and his abilities to be successful but where did that leave me? And sometimes that was the harder question. Yeah, I'm curious that, I mean, that is such a, a powerful thing that I think no matter, it, you know, who you're married to, or maybe just becoming a parent, you know, sometimes you struggle with that identity, like, where is my place? Where do I fit in? If, you know, I've paid all this money and done all this work, and I have these degrees, and Now I'm staying home with the kids or something like that. Like, what did you do to really embrace your identity outside of teaching? It was hard. It was hard to not feel like, you know, second fiddle or second place. Like I'm just the travel along wife because clearly we only moved to Wisconsin so he could do this training. Right. And so there is some truth to that. Yet what I had to do, like I said, was become confident in who I was and trusting those decisions and saying, you know, hey, right now, being at home, taking care of the littles, allowing Josh to be successful is the right decision for our family. Mm. And there's some hard things about that, but that doesn't make the decision wrong. And then when I could stand by that decision and you always get asked the dreaded question, well, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm just the stay at home wife. (laughs) There's never a good way to put that, I think. And so... I think it's been just, you know, becoming confident in that and just saying, you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. They have no idea. Maybe they're not even thinking about it at all. We just think they are, right? So it's just becoming confident with yourself. And then I think you can can deal with anyone's assumptions. 
about your life. You know what? Like you bring up a really good point in like, it sounds like y'all have moved around a lot for different, you know, career options and education and all that. How do you deal with constantly moving and moving the kids and meeting new friends and all that? Like, what is that like as a doctor's wife? I think moving is one of those things that it's it's kind of what you make of it. Um, some moves have been easier for me. Moving to Wisconsin in January is not recommended, by the way. It was a super hard move, especially being a girl from the South. I was cold for the next several years. But you never thought out. <laughs> let's take out our furniture in the snow. Yeah, so a little bit crazy, but I think to answer your question, like moving is, it's, it sounds cheesy, but it really is like your mind frame. Like if you feel like I'm in this new place, I don't know anyone. It's going to take me years to connect, blah, blah, blah. Versus, Hey, what can we do here? So we had the opportunity to live in Albuquerque for just one year. And we knew it was just going to be one year. And I was like, you know, that's not really enough time to like really plug in to like a support system but what do I want to do for this year? And so we started making this bucket list and it turns out New Mexico is one of the coolest places ever. And I just had no idea. And we had all these parks and all these places we could go. And sometimes Josh went with us and sometimes he didn't like, I took the kids to the Grand Canyon by myself because, Hey, we're only like three or four hours away. Let's go to the Grand Canyon. And so I think you just have to embrace the new place that you live, make that list Mm-hmm. and be willing to be the one to kind of put yourself out there. And it's so important, especially if you have kids, because I've noticed that my kids really reflect my attitude. And when I go negative about the new place, the next thing I know, they're kind of negative. So I have to be really careful and be like, oh, you know, new school, new friends. And sometimes, you know, I think as a parent, you're half faking it because you're worried about your kids finding those friends and being okay. But it's much better than worrying and then having them reflect that worry. Yeah. And I'm wondering too, like you had mentioned this earlier, but you said meeting new people. A lot of times people have this stereotype of like, you're the doctor family and you're the travel along. Like what are some of those stereotypes that you kind of pick up on that people may think about you before they even meet you? Yeah, I think the biggest one is that all doctor families are wealthy. You know, it's just not true. Depending on what type of physician you are, your salary, yeah, you're probably going to make six figures, but you know, you may make 130K. Trauma surgeons do make a lot of money, but they have several more years of education under their belt and they have several more years of their debt accruing, right? So there's a lot of variety in physician families, just like any other population of the world, you know. All teachers are not the same. All podcasters are not the same. All authors are not the same. And all physicians are not the same, right? But we we tend to kind of put them all in one little pile. Oh, they're a doctor. They must be like this. And it's just not true. It depends so much on, you know, did you take out student loans during medical school? um, Or did, you know, did you come from a physician family in which those were paid? You know, it's going to make a huge difference. Some physicians are investing money through residency. Other physicians are you know, on food stamps through residency. And so it's really interesting, the the vast variety. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment, but we wanted to take a minute to talk about what it takes to build a legendary marriage. We're going to focus on community because we believe that isolation is the enemy 
of a legendary marriage, and community is a big part of the solution. You see, the truth is your spouse cannot meet all your relational needs, and it's crazy to try to make them. Doing so creates unneeded strain and codependence, so simply not healthy. So men need to have connection and community with other good men. And women need the same with other good women. And together, you need a few couples who can stand with you as you find a way over, around, or through every challenge life has to offer. See, we all long for a place to belong to, for a people to belong to, a tribe where we're supported and encouraged, where we can do the same for others. And our community on Facebook makes it easy. This is a group where you can connect with other couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So come join the conversation. Share your ideas, insights, experiences, victories, and failures in a circle of men and women who will support and encourage you. Be a part of this movement of couples. We're transforming their marriages and families forever. It's an amazing group. We hope to see you there soon. You can find us over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to the show. I hear you saying too, if people think that you're wealthy, they make other certain assumptions about you. Like Mm -hmm. you're snobby or you're, you know, better than everyone else or you're like, what are some of those assumptions if people think you're, you know, wealthy? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to say what other people think. I know that for me growing up, I used to think that about wealthy people. So one of the biggest things for me has been to learn um, that that's not true. You know, all doctors are not wealthy. And the other important lesson for me to learn is that wealthy people can be very nice people, right? Wealthy people are not necessarily snobby people. And it's been really humbling for me to learn that because I, I grew up in a, in a, in a poor community and, um, I didn't come from a lot of money. And so I was super intimidated. The first time I went to a physician's house, I'll never forget how intimidated I was. I felt like I couldn't speak out. Like I couldn't have a conversation that I was somehow unworthy, not unworthy, but just not like at that level. Like there was something missing in me and it has been a great, lesson on the human experience for me to realize and to get to know so many physician and physician families and just be like, these are just people. They have the same exact problems. They still have money problems. The money problems just look a little differently. Um, but the stresses are very high. They have, you know, the same type of marriage and relationship issues, family, in-law issues, children issues. And, and it's been really a good lesson, I think, for me personally. I hear you saying that there are a lot of stresses, whether it's financial or family or whatever. And I like what Justin's saying too. Like sometimes when you have money and, you know, things are amplified or you're in a spotlight because you're the doctor's family, like everybody's watching what you do or, you know, something like that. Um, it, it can be stressful. And in those stressful situations, you said sometimes in the early years, you guys would turn away from each other in those high stress situations. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one time I turned completely away from my husband. He came in late and he was super tired and stressed. And I had been dealing with sick kids and I was really annoyed that he hadn't been home all day. And it was one of those days where I'm like, I hate his job. (laughs) 
<laughs> and consequently, like my feelings towards him aren't too great right now either. And he came in the house and I went out the back door and he's like, where are you going? I'm like, somewhere. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm just going. He's like, where are you going? I go, I guess I'm going to Walgreens for like Sprite and crackers, deal with the kids, you know? And the poor guy, you know, he hadn't slept in over 24 hours. He was exhausted. He'd already been dealing with, you know, patients with issues. And now he was going to deal with the sick kids. And I think, you know, a quote unquote better wife, you know, might've had dinner ready, might've had the kids cleaned up, might've had the laundry done, but this is real life. You know, you're in the trenches, like, some days are just going to be awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I needed to give myself that space. And on one hand, I'm like, well, I didn't handle that very well. On the other hand, I probably handled that really well because I still feel like had I stayed in that moment, I, I would have just lost it. You know, what would I have done? Would I have physically hit him? Would I have screamed out? You know, what was I going to do? Like I needed the break so badly. You're a doctor. You know how to take care of sick kids. <laughs> that's right. It's your turn. If you have a demanding job, that's on you. You chose it, but now it's your turn to take just care take of the kids for once. On right. Buddy. Just take another hour on the shift. Danielle and I call it tapping out. Yeah. Right. Like uh, that's it. I, I, I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out. I got I got to go. I got to go. Sometimes, I'll be back. I will be back at some point. Sometimes it's Justin all you. will sneak up on me and he'll be like, tap, tap me on the shoulder. And I'm like, wait, what was that? He's like, I'm tapping out. And then he turns around. <laughs> and there's just a Justin shaped hole in the door. <laughs> puff of smoke and the screeching of car tires. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm, but I know he'll be back. I'm sure there are a lot of nice things, a lot of perks about um, being married to a doctor. Can you speak to that at all? Sometimes you can save an ER visit. I think Josh has now stitched up four out of five of the kids. So there's a nice little perk. <laughs> yeah, with five boys, I, I, I bet the, the kit stays in an accessible shelf. That's right. It's part of our standard first aid kit. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking of the the little piece of glass in Allie's foot last year. Oh my gosh. My daughter is such a... I'm, I'm the... The, uh, the surgeon. Poor man's trauma surgeon around here. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, and it's, I'm it's the one pretty. That, and I'm the one that has to anesthetize them or AKA pin them down or let's see, NyQuil them or whatever I have to do. Yeah. It gets a little uh it gets a little dicey over here. We we need a we need a doctor in the house. Um okay, so with <laughs> so I'm wondering Maybe I you, should go to med school. Maybe you should not. <laughs> um <laughs> that would be a terrible idea. That would be terrible. You everything I know about after everything I know about doctoring I know from uh watching scrubs, so it's probably not probably not it would a be solid really, basis. It would be really funny though. Okay. So I'm wondering, like, as a parent, you said, you said that, um, you know, obviously Josh is able to stitch up the kids when they, you know, fall and, you know, hurt themselves, but are there, how how do the kids deal with dad as a doctor? And like you said, you said something earlier about you had this thing about time in your head. I don't know. Do the kids, you know, have that sort of thing or do they want more time with him or, How does that work? Well, I think all kids, you know, they long for their parents' attention. And so one thing Josh tries to do is give each kid a little bit of individualized attention, even if it's just 
two to five minutes, right? It can make such a big difference. Or, you know, he does make an effort to make concerts. Certainly, like he couldn't make every basketball game, but he was able to make a couple of basketball games. And so, you know, you just do what you can. Also, it's interesting, like, it's kind of all my kids know because that's what they've grown up with. And so that's what they know. Another thing that Josh has done, which I appreciate, is occasionally he will call. Like, he can't necessarily be home, but he might be walking from one end of the hospital to the other. And it's like a 10-minute hike across the medical complex. He might just give a call and say, let me check in on... And he'll name one of the boys and I'll pass him the phone and they can just chat for a couple minutes. Such a small thing, but it can make a huge difference in the life of a kiddo to know that their dad, you know, cared enough to talk to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just checking my own attitude with it. If I'm like, oh, dad's not home. You know, if I start that murmuring and griping, it's really reflective in the kids. And so I've really learned like the importance of, even if I have to fake it a little bit, like trying to stay positive about dad's career in front of the kids has been super important. Sure. And, and even in the, the faking it, the, it's going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. We'll make it. Even in that, I think it models for the kids, just the, the tenacity of pushing through things. I think it's important. You're right. I feel like, um, I've done a lot of kind of thought work on this and tried to figure it out because I can tell my story really two different ways. And in one version of my story, I could tell you, you know, we've lived in five different states and 11 different houses and the kids have had to change schools multiple times. We have six-figure debt. My husband keeps choosing the most demanding specialties. Every time he gets a choice, he keeps going for more training, more demanding things. He has the weirdest, most difficult schedules. He also has tons of emotional stress piled on him. And I've had to leave all these jobs I've loved, you know, and all of that would be a true story. And I could tell that story or as a mom and as a hopefully maturing adult, I can say, you know, (laughs) we have had the opportunity to live in some really cool places and we've been on a sleigh ride in Wisconsin and we've been to, you know, the Grand Canyon or Arches National Park and We've had the opportunity to be exposed to different types of populations and cities. And yeah, you know what? We have debt, but we also have a great education and opportunity for wealth. And we've invested in our education and in helping others and in learning. And, you know, my my husband chose the perfect job for him. He couldn't be anything but a surgeon. Of course, he's supposed to be a surgeon. Those are his God-given talents. And that's what he's chosen. And isn't it wonderful that he's living up to his potential and, yeah, our schedule varies a lot, but we've learned to be flexible and we've learned to be spontaneous and we go swimming on weeknights and we go out for breakfast instead of dinner. And yeah, we have emotional stresses, but look at how connected we can be because of those hard conversations we've had. And so there's something really powerful in how you tell your story, right? Mm -hmm. And that second story, that version two is as true as the first one. So it's like, which one do I want to choose to tell myself? You know, which one's going to serve me better? And of course, it's the second one. That doesn't mean I don't ever slip into self-pity. Come on, I'm not perfect. But this is something that I really work on. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in my marriage? How do I want to show up as a mom? And, And how much of this is in my control? And when I tell my story in that positive way, it makes a world of difference in my attitude. All right, we will get back to the last part of our conversation with Laura McEldery 
in just a minute. But first, we wanted to float something by you. Yeah, recently we've realized it's been almost a year since our last Legendary Marriage Intensive. Oh my gosh. And that just ain't right. It ain't right. (laughs) That ain't right. So we have had a few people ask when we're doing it again. We had so much fun hot tubbing, hiking, off-roading. Having rich adult conversations that had nothing to do with work, diapers, or who forgot to take out the trash. Yes, definitely needed. It was me. It was me. (laughs) So here's the deal. We love doing the intensive. So we've put one on the calendar for October 18th through the 21st in Breckenridge, Colorado. Ah, the mountains are calling and I must go. (laughs) But here's the catch. We have to have four couples registered with deposits paid by August 31st, 2018 in order to lock in the incredible retreat location that we've picked out. So if you want to get away for a luxurious romantic getaway, experience some transformational coaching and have thrilling adventure together in the mountains of Colorado, then run. Don't walk over to (laughs) legendarymarriage.com slash intensive for the details. We'd love to see you there. You have a master's degree in teaching and you're, you know, staying home with your boys right now and you've had to leave many jobs, but I love how you're a podcaster. And so you are a teacher. You're teaching other spouses of doctors to, you know, embrace this lifestyle and how to navigate it and how to look, look, um, you know, like healthy, successful, you know, not just a facade, but like how to be a healthy family. So I'm curious, how did you make the decision to become a podcaster and have the um, Married to Doctors podcast? So I decided to do the podcast during that one year in Albuquerque when I knew like, okay, it's just for a year. It's going to be really hard to get a job here. I don't have a New Mexico teaching license. Um, Even if I got, you know, a job, I'd have to turn around and quit on my principal. And that just, you know, it didn't feel right. And I was like, what in the world can I do? (laughs) And I started thinking about, you know, things I like to do. And I remembered that like in junior high, I loved like theater and stuff like that. And um, even in elementary school, I used to want to be like a news broadcaster. I thought that'd be cool. So anyways, I just kind of went through these different exercises and like, what could I do? And I started looking into podcasting and I was like, well, who do I want to serve? What do I want my podcast to be about? I thought about doing like a boy mom podcast. I thought about, you know, I could do something with English as a second language because that's what I've you know, have some education in. I thought about these different things and I was like, what do I really know? What have I really, really been in the trenches about? And the truth was it was it was this relationship of being married to a physician or someone on the road to becoming one, right? And I looked at the resources and I thought, man, there's not a lot out there. I mean, there's some, but there is not a lot out there. And part of that is, you know, people just you know, I think we're a little bit nervous to say, hey, I'm married to a doctor and it's not, you know, as glamorous as it sounds. I think, you know, it's kind of hard to admit that. And so I was like, man, do I have the courage to do this? I don't know. So I went back and forth. I talked to my husband about it. I said, you know, this is going to kind of put our family out there. But I really feel like I have something to say. And I started outlining episodes. And I started coming up with ideas. And I had, you know, a list of 30 or 40 topics. And I'm like, I think that's enough to get started. Like, let's do this. And um, it's, it's been great. It's been really well received. I've had lots of people reach out and say, I'm so glad I found this. 
had a lot of other people reach out and say, I wish this had been here when we were in med school or training. So I think it's doing a little bit of good and that makes me feel good. Yes. Okay. I, 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 I would agree. I love, I love it when people just step into their niche and it's a niche that you didn't even know that you were like, step into and you're like, wait, this is my thing. I I, love it. I think a big part of life is just finding your voice and being able to use it. I I think that's what podcasting has been for us. I think in so many ways, I'm still, I still find that the tension in trying to do that at, at home, at work with the podcast and everything else. So I just, I love the way that you've stepped into it and, and y'all married to doctors podcast that Laura hosts is it's a five-star rated show and the reviews are just like out of this world so it is just real and raw and authentic and and sharing stories and life um and it's really having an impact on a lot of folks and so i just wanted to celebrate that and we will of course include the link in the show notes to Lara's podcast and um you can listen to all her wisdom over there on the Married to Doctors podcast. Lara, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me tell part of my story and I love what you guys are doing and strengthening families as well. So thank you so much. I wanted to stand up and yell, amen, sister, when (laughs) Laura talked about choosing a positive perspective over a negative one. I mean, moving cross country, giving up your career, we've actually had some of those things in our lives where we've had to do that. And it's super easy to just uh, get into the like, this sucks and, you know. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say it's super easy to just, you know, pack up everything, get in a moving truck and cry for a hundred miles as you drive out of town. Well, not so that that's happened to you or me. Well, or both of us at the same sometimes time. Sometimes a good cry is necessary. <laughs> and you know what? Feeling your real emotions. I don't want to say you should mask your real emotions, but sometimes, especially when you get around friends or your kids or whatever, you can just feed that negative stuff yeah. and you can just go real ugly and it can there's a danger when we look at stories like this there's a danger because it's so easy to get in the story or not have enough time after the story to look at it from a healthy place Mm. Um, because if we're too close to it we do we just sit and we spin and we we want people to participate with us Mm -hmm. in it uh, as opposed to looking at it for what was the transformation that happened what how did it make me a better person? How did it deepen our relationship? I know for us, we had to constantly check ourselves with our battle for um, just getting a baby. Like there was so many times it was like failure, failure, failure. And we, I did want to cry and I did. And it was one of those things where it just felt negative a lot of times, but you had to choose the perspective of like, Okay, like what's available to us here? Choose your perspective. All right, so here's the challenge this week. Talk about it. And now it's time for the Talk About It segment of the show. Each week, we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right, so today, Laura was talking about choosing a positive mindset. So where is a place that you've been focusing more on the negative 
And you would prefer to choose a positive mindset. You and your spouse get together, talk about that. You talk may each have it, talk about it, talk about different it. situations, or it may be the same one. We have to pay royalties for that now. No, because anyway. it didn't even really sound like the real song. All right. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 089. Okay. Last thing. We want to help more couples have conversations that matter. So if you love the show, please let us know. Jump over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.